Part 2, Chapter 1, Section 45 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss, translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2, History of the Public Life of Jesus. Chapter 1, Relations between Jesus and John the Baptist. Section 45, Appearance and Design of the Baptist, His Personal Relations with Jesus john a nazarite according to our authorities matthew chapter three verse four chapter nine verse fourteen chapter eleven verse eighteen and luke chapter one verse fifteen and in the opinion of several theologians an essene is said by luke in chapter three verse two to have been summoned to his public work by the word of god which came to him in the wilderness not possessing the Baptist's own declaration, we cannot accept as complete the dilemma stated by Paulus when he says that we know not whether John himself interpreted some external or internal fact as a divine call, or whether he received a summons from another individual. And we must add a third possibility that his followers sought to dignify the vocation of their teacher by an expression which recalls to mind the ancient prophets. While, from the account of Luke, it appears that the divine call came to John in the wilderness, but that for the purpose of teaching and baptizing he resorted to the country about Jordan, Matthew, in chapter 3 and following, makes the wilderness of Judea the scene of his labors, as if the Jordan in which he baptized flowed through that wilderness. It is true that, according to Josephus, the Jordan, before emptying itself into the Dead Sea, traverses a great wilderness, but this was not the wilderness of Judea, which lay farther south. Hence, it has been supposed that Matthew, misled by his application of the prophecy the voice of one crying in the wilderness to john who issued from the wilderness of judea placed there his labors as a preacher of repentance and a baptizer although their true scene was the blooming valley of the jordan in the course of luke's narrative however this evangelist ceases to intimate that John forsook the wilderness after receiving his call, for on the occasion of John's message to Jesus, he makes the latter ask, Whom went ye out into the wilderness to see? From chapter 7, verse 24. Now, as the valley of the Jordan in the vicinity of the Dead Sea was in fact a barren plain, the narrow margin of the river excepted, no greater mistake may belong to Matthew than that of specifying the wilderness as the Eremos tes Eudias. And even that may be explained away by the supposition, either that John, as he alternately preached and baptized, passed from the wilderness of Judea to the borders of the Jordan, or that the waste tract through which that river flowed being a continuation of the wilderness of Judea, retained the same name. The baptism of John could scarcely have been derived from the baptism of proselytes, for this rite was unquestionably posterior to the rise of Christianity. 
it was more analogous to the religious lustrations in practice amongst the jews especially the essenes and was apparently founded chiefly on certain expressions used by several of the prophets in a figurative sense but afterwards understood literally according to these expressions god requires from the israelitish people as a condition of their restoration to his favor a washing and purification from their iniquity and he promises that he will himself cleanse them with water from isaiah chapter 1 verse 16 ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 compare with jeremiah chapter 2 verse 22 add to this the jewish notion that the messiah would not appear with his kingdom until the israelites repented and we have the combination necessary for the belief that an ablution symbolical of conversion and forgiveness of sins must precede the advent of the messiah our accounts are not unanimous as to the signification of john's baptism they all it is true agree in stating repentance to be one of its essential requirements for even what josephus says of the baptist that he admonished the jews practising virtue just towards each other and devout towards god to come to his baptism has the same sense under the greek form mark and luke however while designating the baptism of john baptisma metanoias add ice of a sin harmation from chapter one verse four and chapter three verse three matthew has not the same addition but he with mark describes the baptized as confessing their sins from chapter three verse six josephus on the other hand appears in direct contradiction to them when he gives it as the opinion of the baptist that baptism is pleasing to god not when we ask pardon for some transgressions but when we purify the body after having first purified the mind by righteousness we might here be led to the supposition that the words for the remission of sins as in acts chapter 2 verse 38 and other passages was commonly used in relation to christian baptism and was thence transferred unhistorically to that of john but as in the passages quoted from ezekiel the washing typified not only reformation but forgiveness the probabilities are in favor of the evangelical statement moreover it is possible to reconcile josephus and the evangelists by understanding the words of the former to mean that the baptism of john was intended to effect a purification not from particular or merely levitical transgressions but of the entire man not immediately and mysteriously through the agency of water but by means of the moral acts of reformation the several accounts concerning john are farther at variance as to the relation in which they place his baptism to the kingdom of heaven according to matthew the concise purport of the appeal with which he accompanied his baptism was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand from chapter three verse two 
according to Luke, the Baptist in the first instance mentions only repentance and remission of sins, but no kingdom of heaven. And it is the conjecture of the people that he might be the Messiah by which he is first led to direct them to one who was coming after him. From chapter 3, verse 15 and following. In Josephus, there is no trace of a relation between the ministry of John and the messianic idea. Yet, we must not therefore conclude that the Baptist himself recognized no such relation, and that its only source was the Christian legend. For the baptism of John, waiving the opinion that it was derived from the baptism of proselytes, is not quite explicable without a reference to the above-mentioned expiatory lustrations of the people, lustrations which were to usher in the times of the Messiah. Moreover, the appearance of Jesus is made more comprehensible by the supposition that John had introduced the idea of the proximity of the Messiah's kingdom. That Josephus should keep back the messianic aspect of this fact is in accordance with his general practice, which is explained by the position of his people with respect to the Romans. Besides, in the expression, to assemble for baptism, in his mention of popular assemblages, and in the fear of Antipas, lest John should excite a revolt, there lies an intimation of precisely such religious and political movement as the hope of the Messiah was calculated to produce. That the Baptist should so distinctly foretell the immediate appearance of the Messiah's kingdom must create surprise, and, Luke's reference to a divine call and revelation being held unsatisfactory, might lead to the supposition that the Christian narrator, believing that the true Messiah was actually manifested in the person of Jesus, the contemporary of John, gave to the language of the latter a definiteness which did not belong to it originally. And while the Baptist merely said, consonantly with the Jewish notion already mentioned, Repent, that the kingdom of heaven may come, a later edition of his words gave for instead of that. But such a supposition is needless. In those times of commotion, John might easily believe that he discerned signs, which certified to him the proximity of the Messiah's kingdom, the exact degree of its proximity he left undecided. According to the evangelists, the coming of the kingdom of heaven was associated by John with a messianic individual to whom he ascribed, in distinction from his own baptism with water, a baptism with the Holy Ghost and with fire, from Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 and parallel passages. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit being regarded as a leading feature of the messianic times, from Joel chapter 2 verse 28, and Acts chapter 2 verse 16 and following. Of this personage he farther predicted, in imagery akin to that used by the prophets on the same subject, that he would winnow the people as wheat, from Malachi chapter 3 verses 2 and 3, and Zechariah chapter 13 verse 9. 
the synoptical gospels state the case as if john expressly understood this messianic individual to be jesus of nazareth according to luke indeed the mothers of these two men were cousins and aware of the destination of their sons the baptist while yet unborn acknowledged the divinity of jesus and all the circumstances imply that both were early acquainted with their relative position predetermined by a heavenly communication matthew it is true says nothing of such a family connection between john and jesus but when the latter presents himself for baptism he puts into the mouth of john words which seem to presuppose an earlier acquaintance his expression of astonishment that jesus should come to him for baptism when he had need to be baptized of jesus could only arise from a previous knowledge or instantaneous revelation of his character of the latter there is no intimation for the first visible sign of the messiahship of jesus did not occur till afterwards while in the first and third gospels in the second the facts are so epitomized that the writer's view on the subject is not evident john and jesus seem to have been no strangers to each other prior to the baptism in the fourth the baptist pointedly asserts that he knew not jesus before the heavenly appearance which according to the synoptical gospels was coincident with his baptism from chapter one verse thirty one and thirty three simply considered this looks like a contradiction by luke the previous acquaintance of the two is stated objectively as an external matter of fact by matthew it is betrayed in the involuntary confession of the astonished baptist in the fourth gospel on the contrary their previous unacquaintance is attested subjectively by his premeditated assertion it was not therefore a very far-fetched idea of the wolfenbutel fragmentist to put down the contradiction to the account of john and jesus and to presume that they had in fact long known and consulted each other but that in public in order better to play into one another's hands they demeaned themselves as if they had hitherto been mutual strangers and each delivered an unbiased testimony to the other's excellence that such premeditated dissimulation might not be imputed to john and indirectly to jesus it has been sought to disprove the existence of the contradiction in question exegetically what john learned from the heavenly sign was the messiahship of jesus to this therefore and not to his person refer the words i knew him not but it may be questioned whether such an acquaintance as john must have had with jesus presupposing the narrative of matthew and luke was separable from a knowledge of his messiahship the connection and intercourse of the two families as described by luke would render it impossible for john not to be early informed how solemnly jesus had been announced as the messiah before and at his birth he could not therefore say at a later period that prior to the sign from heaven he had not known 
but only that he had not believed the story of former wonders one of which relates to himself it being thus unavoidable to acknowledge that by the above declaration in the fourth gospel the baptist is excluded not only from the knowledge of the messiahship of jesus but also from a personal acquaintance with him it has been attempted to reconcile the first chapter of luke with this ignorance by appealing to the distance of residence between the two families as a preventative to the continuance of their intercourse but if the journey from nazareth to the hill country of judea was not too formidable for the betrothed mary how could it be so for the two sons when ripening to maturity what culpable indifference is hereby supposed in both families to the heavenly communications they had received nay what could be the object of those communications if they had no influence on the early life and intercourse of the two sons let it be granted that the fourth gospel excludes an acquaintance with the messiahship only of jesus and that the third presupposes an acquaintance with his person only on the part of john still the contradiction is not removed for in matthew john when required to baptize jesus addresses him as if he knew him not generally and personally alone but specially in his character of messiah it is true that the words i have need to be baptized of thee and comest thou to me from chapter three verse fourteen have been interpreted in the true spirit of harmonizing as referring to the general superior excellence of jesus and not to his messiahship but the right to undertake the baptism which was to prepare the way for the messiah's kingdom was not to be obtained by moral superiority in general but was conferred by a special call such as john himself had received and such as could belong only to a prophet or to the messiah and his forerunner from john chapter one verse nineteen and following if then john attributed to jesus authority to baptize he must have regarded him not merely as an excellent man but as indubitably a prophet nay since he held him worthy to baptize himself as his own superior that is since john conceived himself to be the messiah's forerunner no other than the messiah himself add to this that matthew had just cited a discourse of the baptist in which he ascribes to the coming messiah a baptism more powerful than his own how then can we understand his subsequent language towards jesus otherwise than this of what use is my water baptism to thee o messiah far more do i need thy baptism of the spirit the contradiction cannot be cleared away we must therefore if we would not lay the burden of intentional deception on the agents let the narrators bear the blame and there will be the less hindrance to our doing so the more obvious it is how one or both of them might be led into an erroneous statement there is in the present case no obstacle to the reconciliation of matthew with the fourth evangelist farther than the words by which the baptist seeks to deter jesus from receiving baptism 
words which, if uttered before the occurrence of anything supernatural, presuppose a knowledge of Jesus in his character of Messiah. Now the Gospel of the Hebrews, according to Epiphanius, places the entreaty of John that Jesus would baptize him as a sequel to the sign from heaven, and this account has been recently regarded as the original one, abridged by the writer of our first gospel, who, for the sake of effect, made the refusal and confession of the Baptist coincident with the first approach of Jesus. But that we have not, in the gospel of the Hebrews, the original form of the narrative, is sufficiently proved by its very tedious repetition of the heavenly voice, and the diffuse style of the whole. It is, rather, a very traditional record, and the insertion of John's refusal after the sign and voice from heaven was not made with the view of avoiding a contradiction of the fourth gospel, which cannot be supposed to have been recognized in the circle of the Ebionite Christians, but from the very motive erroneously attributed to Matthew in his alleged transposition, namely, to give greater effect to the scene. A simple refusal on the part of the Baptist appeared too weak. He must at least fall at the feet of Jesus, and a more suitable occasion could not be given than that of the sign from heaven, which, accordingly, must be placed beforehand. This Hebrew gospel, therefore, will not help us to understand how Matthew was led into contradiction with John. Still less will it avail for the explanation of Luke's narrative. All is naturally explained by the consideration that the important relation between John and Jesus must have been regarded as existing at all times, by reason of that description of pre-existence to the essential which is a characteristic of the popular mind. Just as the soul, when considered as an essence, is conceived more or less clearly as pre-existent, so in the popular mind every relation pregnant with consequences is endowed with pre-existence. Hence the Baptist, who eventually held so significant a relation to Jesus, must have known him from the first as is indistinctly intimated by Matthew, and more minutely detailed by Luke, according to whom their mothers knew each other, and the sons themselves were brought together while yet unborn. All this is wanting in the fourth gospel, the writer of which attributes an opposite assertion to John, simply because in his mind an opposite interest preponderated, for the less Jesus was known to John, by whom he was afterwards so extolled, the more weight was thrown on the miraculous scene which arrested the regards of the Baptist. The more clearly was his whole position with respect to Jesus demonstrated to be the effect, not of the natural order of events, but of the immediate agency of God. End of section 45